welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. Because fundamentally, we appreciate what the video game can do in terms of story. And that's what we see as the mechanism through which young people can improve their English language. My conversation with Simon Engineer was absolutely inspiring, and I'm thrilled to be able to share it with you. We covered so much cool stuff that I had to break it into two parts. In this first part, we talk about how they use video games that are not developed or sold as learning games to teach English and writing. Our conversation is awesome, and you need to hear Simon's story. Welcome to the show. Today, I have a special guest, very innovative guy in the education field. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Simon Engerer. Simon is originally from the UK, and he came to Hong Kong in 2010. Uh, he worked as an English teacher in several secondary schools across the city before founding Cicero Group in 2019 to address the falling interest in English studies happening in the local school system. Together, Simon and his business partner, Nelson Learn, have developed video game adjacent courses for schools and have launched and grown the From Player to Page competition into a popular writing contest across Hong Kong. Sorry for reading a bio, but rather than <laughs> try and do it from memory, I wanted to make sure I got that right. I have to admit, sure. the thing that fascinates me there is this phrase, video adjacent courses. Right? <laughs> so that sounds innovative. What does that mean? Video game adjacent courses? Yeah. The easiest way we can sort of express what it is that we do, because we are often conflated with um, ed tech providers who are creating online um, systems and uh, and processes that allow for certain sort of methods of learning to, to to sort of develop that's really not what we're doing we are first and foremost lovers of video games and by being a lover of a video game it's similar to being a lover of a book if you if you really love reading um you find that you're actually very good at teaching it and uh, and and teaching people how to love it like you do so with that in mind we we sort of position ourselves as educators who are familiar and well-versed in what video games can offer. And that's why we describe ourselves as video game adjacent, because we're not creating video games. We aren't building worlds in Minecraft. We are not doing things like that. Um, what we're doing is we're actually taking the video games as they are. We're, uh, we're sort of building those into courses that work to improve English language skills, because fundamentally we appreciate what the video game can do in terms of story. And that's what we see as the uh, as the mechanism through which young people uh, can improve their English language. And I mean, if you build out from there, um, could improve their subject knowledge in different disciplines overall. Interesting. Can you give me an example of that in, in practice? Yes. So, um, for example, we'll look into uh, into different video game narratives and um, we'll be thinking about how they can apply to certain English language learning elements. In the Hong Kong DSE, which is the local school 
uh, secondary qualification um, that students here study for. A part of that involves students using English language in a report style writing um, exam. Now, in the past, a lot of that has been down uh, sort of practiced in the classroom through um, uh, wanting to uh, comment on a robbery that happened and you hear a kind of audio log of, of something that's happened, uh, dramatized by voice actors. And um, the students are, are you know, le less than inspired by this kind of uh, <laughs> approach to, uh, to learning how to write reports. And so what we do is we look at games where part of the um, success in the game is through being able to accumulate knowledge through dialogues with different people, through the collection of different loot or items, um, that finally, when you reach the end point, you're able to then um, make a decision or capitalize on what you've learned along the way. And we can see a way of harnessing that for the purpose of writing reports. And so it then works in a kind of lesson by lesson format where we'll go through the game with, uh, with a student, uh, or a class, and we'll be providing the English language elements to be able to properly explain how they are acquiring these things, why they are useful, um, and then styling that so that when they arrive at the conclusion of the narrative in the game, they're able to explain this in the form of a report that they deliver to someone. Um, and in that sense, it makes the whole report writing experience far more engaging because you are actually involved in a process yourself as opposed to listening as a third party um to to something that's being reported back to you in a sense so yeah it, it's uh that's that's one example of the way we do it well honestly it's just absolutely brilliant right i just <laughs> i love this whole concept of course you had me at video games because <laughs> no right i i come from the video game industry myself and yep. I don't think in general there's much of an appreciation for the narrative storytelling element of mm. many of these games. And so I also love that, that you're kind of highlighting the fact that many of these games are very creative in their storytelling. And, you know, and the students get that opportunity because they're, they're playing the games anyway. They love the games to also get them maybe to think more about what's gone into the game, right? right? And why the creator of the game maybe presented certain elements or used certain music or whatever, right? Because it's not by chance, right? Game designers put a lot of thought and creativity into the elements that come together to, to tell the story within that, that media. So, um, or medium. Yes. So, you, you talked about these these courses. So how long is a is a course on a on a writing assignment for a video game? It, right now, that's uh, Eric. Now you're getting down to the kind of logistical challenges <laughs> that come into delivering something like this. So ideally, um, when we are delivering a course, we like to do it over a twenty hour period because we have to take into account several factors. Um, how long the term times are here in Hong Kong, because if students are going to um, embark on a um, on an ECA, that is uh, the type of thing that we do. Teachers Our often ECA, don't. 
is uh, so an extracurricular activity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coming up with all of the jargon yeah, yeah. now. Right. Um, but um, but yeah, if if uh, schools are going to embark on an ECA like this, they don't want it to sort of end abruptly midterm, um, and they want it to be able to run um, for maybe the full five or six weeks of the term time. Sometimes terms here can last as long as eight or ten weeks as well. So with that in mind, you have to try and make sure that your courses are structured in a way that accounts for the uh, the scheduling that takes place in the schools themselves. Um, and sorry, I do want to jump in there because I think that's a significant point, right, for mm. um, for folks who are trying to grasp what, we're, what you're doing here, that this is extracurricular. Right. This is not embedded directly in their, um, their classwork for school uh, curriculum, mm -hmm. right? Yes, that's correct. And I mean, okay. um, we can have a whole other, I mean, maybe later we can talk about where we want to go with this. Yeah, but, I do um, want to talk that. <laughs> but yes, for now, it is something that's uh, that's held as an after-school activity, or sometimes it's, it's held within um, timetables if there are um, sort of openings for English language ECAs and that they are accommodated within the, uh, within the schedules of the school. But... Um, so that's one consideration we make. The second is is based around what the video game itself offers us. So um, certain games that we've we've kind of styled courses around, they can be completed in 45 minutes. Um, some of them are very, very simple mobile games. Um, but an example. What, uh, so a perfect example is the video game Florence. This game was released uh, maybe six years ago now, and um, it actually won uh, a BAFTA um, in the video game category. It's a it's a much loved game, and in fact, a student in um, the 2020 cycle of the From Play to Page competition actually entered a piece um, about Florence, and um, we had to give it an honourable mention because even though it didn't win. It, well, it spoke exactly to what these types of video games can do, which is really offer a kind of window into a person's experience that maybe they can't access through something like a book, especially as they're second language speakers. An English language book may not be able to give them that same window into their own lives as a video game can, um, especially a video game like Florence, which is told entirely through visuals and also through a, a kind of musical score that's based around a cello and um, a piano. So, I mean, it's, it's, the whole game is beautiful. I would recommend anyone to go and check it out. It's, it's, it hasn't aged a bit. It's still fantastic. Um, so you're saying that's about a 45 minute experience if you just play the game through. And mm -hmm. um, and my understanding, um, I, I did look a little bit at this one. Uh, I haven't mm -hmm. played it. it. It does appear to be kind of a young woman's story, right? Yes. Um, she's what, 25 years old and kind of her day to day life. And she meets mm. this cellist, right? Yes. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. And it's yeah. um, it's it's uh, where I've spoken to the parents as well um, uh, of students who've taken the classes with me privately. The parents have spoken about how 
surprised they were that this was the type of video game that we were using. And that's because there is a misconception as to what a video game actually right. is. Nobody was getting blown up or shooting aliens or, you know, what is Absolutely. this can't be a video game if nobody's <laughs> dying and shooting people, right? Absolutely. There's there's this there's this um sort of incompatibility in uh in some people's minds of like a video game can tell a story. Right. Um as as much as just being an experience. So I also want to point um, out that that game is also 2D. It is not correct. a high, you know, N 3D environment thing. It's it's fairly yeah. simple in its design. Um, yeah. which to me, unclutters the story, right? You really, don't get yes. wrapped up in the the graphics and um, the gameplay. There's some puzzles you have to solve along the way, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I think simple simple is better. But contrast that mm. to Subnautica. So you also right. use Subnautica, and it's a very different kind of of game. Yes, it's a it's a whole different bag, and the the two. The two games represent different challenges from a, a course construction point of view, because ultimately what we are using the game as is a kind of tool through which to deliver learning outcomes based around English language and improving English language skills. Um, when you work with a game as expansive as a, as a sort of sandbox style game like Subnautica, where really you can go and explore the world and it's it's up to you how long you take. The exploration of the narrative threads that exist in the game, uh, you can tackle entirely at your own pace. You could spend 20 hours building a base somewhere before you come back and then start actually completing what the narrative is or, or the plot. And then you go to a game like Florence that you can complete in 40 or 45 minutes and the the considerations we make as the when it comes to the english learning aspects are well what requires more focus so when we play through something if a get if a game is short it really means going into some um depth around concepts that are, that we're exploring at certain chapters of the florence game there is a fantastic sequence where um, the character moves in with her partner, Krish. So um, Florence moves in with her partner. And um, when she moves in, she puts all her items in the uh, in the house and in the kitchen, and she rearranges the cabinets. And um, so she's putting her shoes there. She's putting her vases and her pictures. And, and you, as the player, you have to decide what of Krish's do you take out and replace with your stuff? Um, and so it's all about do you do you strike a balance or do you just take everything of his away and put all of your stuff there? Um, when the relationship ends and you have to start taking things away, if you haven't completely emptied his things out and replaced it with your own, it does become quite confusing. What was yours and what was his? And that is an interesting concept to explore, like knowing what you own, what what is shared, what belongs to you. And that introduces a really lovely area of English language to go into where we're talking about possession and possessive pronouns and um, how to explore that and express that well. Yeah. Very, very interesting. All right. So other games. Uh, well, another one I thought was very interesting, very unique and uh creative uh, what remains of edith finch 
Oh my gosh, what an amazing game. It is um so that is a is a walking narrative. Um so I think the the producers were it was sort of it was certainly developed by Giant Sparrow, I believe, and um it's published by Annapurna. The the conceit of the Edith Finch game is there's this family who the the protagonist who who you play as so you're experiencing the world in a first person perspective through Edith's eyes um this family she doesn't really know and there are so many things that have been hidden from her and they are all captured in this one house this family home and generation after generation has passed through this home and it's what does Edith come to understand, come to realize about those closest to her when she goes back and revisits this home? I'm sure my mom was just trying to protect me. Now that there's only one of us left, I thought it was time I heard the stories. But now I'm worried the stories themselves might be the problem. It's it's a lovely story, but there are aspects. It, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that game up because certain narratives within that game um, are quite harrowing. So there's um, there's a, it's a little dark, darker than <laughs> the other games. Yes, yes, yes. And there, for example, there's a lot of death in the game. There's, Not killed there's... by you with a gun, but <laughs> exactly <laughs> clear, right? Yes, very, very unusual deaths. And then, th th so there is perhaps the most harrowing is the is the suicide of Edith's uncle. Now I'm not sure whether it was uncle or brother, but that that is certainly um, a difficult story to actually tackle. So in the in the course, we choose not to go into that story. Because um, we don't want the the story itself to overwhelm what the English language experience is supposed to be. Um, and moreover, the more of the game that we leave, the more there is for the student to then explore themselves when they come out of the course. Right. Because they haven't, and we aren't trying to take them through the entire game. We're not trying to do a walkthrough of the game with them. So when they when they come away and they say, well, who was Milton? Who was Lewis? And, and we're like, well, you can find out. Like, and um, we'll uh, we'll often buy a copy of the game um, for those who are involved on the course as well, because we really do want them to go back and go into these worlds and explore these stories even more. All right. So that raised a one of the questions I had. Well, you kind of answered it in one regard. Well, the first part of it was how do you keep them from just like playing the whole thing? Because um, for me, right, once a kid gets their hands on a game, they, they may play it for endless hours, right? You can't really control yeah. what scenes they they do or not. So it sounds mm -hmm. like you get you have one licensed copy that you present. So they kind of play the game uh, as a group, I guess, in the classroom, not on their own individually uh, in, the, in the case of this particular one, um, mm. because I was curious on the on the licensing. Right. Mm. So like, you know, Subnautica, uh, that's pretty much a triple A game. It's like thirty dollars a copy. Right. Does mm. every kid get a copy of the game um, <laughs> you know, licensed to play the game? 
<laughs> well, that's that's actually what we do do eventually. So we okay. we play with a single copy, um, but then we purchase uh, multiple copies that we use across devices in the classroom. So there may be a single copy that we play at the front of the class. Okay. Um, that will be something that we use to take students through um, particular elements. But then we've also we also have copies of the game on Nintendo Switches. So we we obviously have to purchase individual copies um, for use on the Switches. Okay. And, and then from there, we try to time certain sort of run-throughs um, with you know steam sales and um so we can make sure that we can purchase as many copies of the game for the students to play outside of the class as well because what we ultimately recognize is that the quality of the storytelling is something that we are trying to to use to improve students english language but we didn't come up with those stories and right. so we want those developers to continue to receive remuneration for what they've done because what they've created are phenomenal stories um that we think have um a fantastic application in um in the classroom and um and yes so there are there are licensing things to consider because you don't want to go in and just use a single game and have 30 people right all experiencing it so yes making sure that we purchase multiple copies um of the game so that users can actually have individual experiences is important yeah speaking of that what is your relationship with the developers do you share with them what you're doing are they uh engaged do they are they interested in in how you're using game because these games weren't <laughs> created for this purpose right right so we've in the past we've sent copies of um some of the work that the students have written off to the developers to say, take a look at this, take a look at how these students are responding to the game Typo Man and um, that idea of the limiting of language and expression. Um, we use that in a persuasive writing context and um, the guys there were sort of wholeheartedly behind us um, and they're well, just like, oh, this man. is great. You brought up Typo Man. So for me, mm. Typo Man looks like an educational game, though, right? Mm. I mean, it uses words, right? You have to almost puzzle-like, right? You have to arrange letters and mm. and and make words to um to solve problems or avoid obstacles or danger, right? right? So would you classify it that way? Would you say that the developers of that game intended mm. it? with some educational objectives in mind? Well, there is a lot going on with the use of words and use of letters and language in, in Typo Man. But I don't think they were um, envisaging it as an educational game as much as they were thinking of it as just a learning experience. And that is at the heart of most games we we play to learn whether we realize it or not that's what we're doing and um one of the reasons why um when you when you purchase a game uh, and you go through a level and then you die and you're allowed to start again is because you are encouraged to learn from mistakes that you make and yeah. then apply that new knowledge so certainly if if we're thinking about games as a spectrum typo man is closer to what could be considered um, a game created for educational purposes than 
something like Subnautica. But equally, Typo Man and um, Florence share a lot of the same underlying DNA in that they are, they're both 2D scrolling puzzle platformers. of its uncertainty we cannot flee the future one meets his destiny often in the road he takes to avoid it neither of them contain like voice acting so um, everything is told either through sounds or through words the games themselves are so much better for the fact that they lack these things but then that means that we can come in and the beautiful thing about games like Florence and Typo Man is that you can um, you can lay a language on top of it. And that language can be more deliberate in achieving certain goals that you as the educator have. Right. Um, so it just makes the games even better. And um, and that's why I think students also respond very well to to those types of games because they don't see that there are, is a deliberate intention to educate through the game and and that way they can enjoy the game just as play more so than thinking of it as study yeah very cool yeah very cool okay well let's talk about um so celeste is another game oh yeah what's specific unique about that one So Celeste, when you were asking before about the the relationships with the developers, the the team uh, over at EXOK, we we did this, a similar thing, which was to send them through some of the work that the students produced uh, through playing Celeste, and um, yeah, the response we got back from that was fantastic. In that, the way we design the lessons is as a letter writing course. I mean. I'm sure most people listening are familiar with Celeste because it is such a brilliant game that almost everyone knows it, um, especially if you're in the gaming world. But in Celeste, you are trying to sort of climb a mountain, a metaphorical mountain, as it turns out, because um, what Madeline's really trying to do is come to terms with uh, two sides of herself. She has to sort of wrestle with what she thinks are... Um, negative aspects of her personality that she's been trying to suppress but then she comes to the realization that all that effort and energy being put into holding things back deprives you of of the of the true possibilities of your nature i mean the game does a fantastic job of letting that message bubble under the surface the entire way through without explicitly pushing it down your throat and it communicates it through the um increase in Madeline's um, skill set as as you progress through the levels. But yes, after sort of looking into it more, more deeply and then thinking about the application, the letter writing approach was by far the, the best because the idea of Madeline at the culmination of the game, having to sort of write to herself. There are instances where she meets certain characters along the way. She meets Theo, she meets Mr. Oshiro, granny and we include sort of checkpoints where she will write 
a letter or the students will write a letter as Madeline to maybe Theo um, or write a letter to Mr. Oshiro um, so that they can try out different writing styles. But ultimately, it's about them having experienced Madeline's journey to then write a letter as Madeline. Um, so we go through a lot of the letter writing conventions. Um, we look a lot into the organization of ideas. Um, there's a lot about the balancing of uh, formal and informal speech um, and what aspects of, of, uh, of speech to lean into more when you're writing to yourself um, in, in a reflective way. And the pieces are always great. They are always yeah. really inspired. Yeah. Well, and I love this whole concept of the the creativity behind uh, not having to explicitly say something, but communicating it. Right. And if students can kind of come away with that, then sometimes the really fun part of creative writing is not saying it directly. Right. Yes. Is getting your your reader there. Right. Your audience mm -hmm. there without having to say it. Well, and I read some of the papers last year. Let's talk a little bit about from player to page. Oh my gosh, this has been so much fun, but we need to take a quick break here so you can digest all of the great sharing from Simon Engineer. What Simon and his team at Cicero are doing is incredibly innovative, and I can't wait to share with you the second half of our conversation where we dig into the writing competition that Simon and his team put together each year. So take five and come back and listen to part two. I also want to acknowledge that I included some audio from the game trailers in this episode. Links to the trailers can be found in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have some awesome guests lined up and amazing stories of innovation and education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments or suggestions. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.